from Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a safety prerogative, this is the source of information on psychological injury prevention and health promotion. Hi, and welcome to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. My name is Jason Banshee, and I'm one of the hosts of the show. The aim of the podcast is to rapidly increase the knowledge and application of psychological health and safety in workplaces worldwide. To help with this, we have regular guests from around the world who are leading the way in this important area. But before I introduce our guest and topic for today, allow me to introduce my co-host, Joelle Mitchell. Hey, today, Joelle. Um, I had an interesting sleep, um, and I've noticed something about my brain, and I don't know if it's normal or unusual. If it's you, it's probably more on the unusual side. Can I like describe what happened first before you diagnose me? No. No. No, no. Okay, tell me what happened. So, um, and this has happened to me like a few times previously as well. So I was like asleep in the middle of the night, kind of asleep. Um, and obviously I'd felt something tickling my neck, but not consciously. And so like, as I've woken up, my hand has come up and like grabbed, squashed and thrown yeah. off the side of the bed, the thing that was Which wasn't, my neck. wasn't really there. It was there. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but this is like while I'm awaking from a very deep yeah. sleep, this has happened like at the same time. Um, and it's happened to me a, a few times in my life where that's like it's been an instant. Oh, so I was going to say a few things lately. I was going to say you need a not, pest. Not lately. Like, like no, not, controller not lately, but just over, yeah. over the course. Like I can rem- remember even as a child it happening as well. <laughs> um, and then I checked the floor this morning and there was like a slater. I slayed yeah, a needle yeah. dead, dead on the floor that I'd squished. Um, and then I then just had disturbed sleep for, for the rest of the night because, like, part of my brain was like, no, go back to sleep. And then another part of my brain was like, no, alert, we're being attacked by something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, it reminds me of uh, the movie Wrath of Khan, Star, uh, Star Trek, and a little bug crawling in someone's ear that gave me nightmares when I was a kid. Mm, but, yeah, mm. Mm. Well, I wear earplugs to sleep, so oh, we'll no chance of that. Yeah, yeah, okay. So there's no risk. Well, it could have been a spider, though. So a spider what? that was going to S- bite me, and then I'd be Spider-Man. Oh, I don't see the downside. That would be, would be kind of cool. It would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, I can't see anything unusual about that. Um, mm, I, I know a good psych I can recommend you to that you can sit down with and explore, uh, if you like, um, but I don't see anything unusual about that. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. That interesting like that you have that sense to do that. Action. And you're actually like a pacifist pre- when you're uh, conscious and, a, yeah, and a killer. I know. Uh, don't when, don't come at me when I'm sleeping. That's yeah. when I'm like my least vulnerable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my body, we'll wait, we'll my body will defend myself before I'm awake. <laughs> there you go, people. Okay. Uh, listeners, if you're interested in attacking Joel, wait till she's awake. Wait till I'm awake, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, interesting. Mm. Um, I learned something new about you every podcast. Yeah. I just, I was like, oh, I wonder if that's a normal thing that that people's brains do. Like, it's not really, it's, I guess it's attached to fight or flight in a way, but it's still like, it's not just the, like the release of the the neurochemicals. It's actually a a physical, like a behavioral response attached to it. I continue to be amazed by you, Joel. So, oh, shucks. Yeah. <laughs> Always I'll advice. take that as a compliment, regardless <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of how it's meant. <laughs> All right. Well, look, uh, we should probably introduce our guest who's yeah. been patiently waiting. Yeah. Uh, so, this uh, guest of ours holds a PhD in pharmacy and has worked in clinical service delivery, academic research, health technology assessment, and patient outcomes research before moving to the corporate world. She is the current CEO of the Corporate Mental Health Alliance Australia. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Kim Hemrosi. Thank you so much, Jason and Joelle. Lovely to be here. And Kim, um, it's been a long time coming. I believe we've been trying to schedule this in with you for well over a year. Definitely over a year. Yeah. And uh, yeah, really glad to have you on to talk about the great work um, that the uh, Alliance is doing. Uh, look, by waiting a year, I actually probably have more to talk about about what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, well, things progress pretty quickly with that with the Corporate Mental Health Alliance, as as we've observed firsthand. So, um, yeah. yeah, we're really interested to hear um, more about you know what the alliance is doing and some of the uh, future um, uh, aspirations as well. Yeah, should be great. Happy to share. So, before we get into that, though, what podcast do you like to listen to, Kim? Well, uh, obviously, I'm a 
obviously this one. Yeah, obviously. Really. <laughs> um, bit of a mix. I do I probably a bit of a cliche, the old Adam Grant's work-life um, podcast. I think probably everyone says that, do they? Yes. Um, your Undivided Attention is another one I've enjoyed around uh, from the Centre for Humane Technology around how we can use technology for good. Um, and there's another one that I've just recently discovered called Philosophize This, um, and it goes back to a lot of the old philosophers and uh, sort of breaks it down into uh, easy to understand um, topics that are short 20 minutes, and, and so it really gives you a great view. So I've just started to do that, but I am probably more a book reader than a podcast listener overall. Must be nice to have that time just to sit there, read a book. <laughs> I read three books in my break. I know, you had a good break. Didn't you? I did. Yeah. Two weeks. I was like, yeah, I'm not doing any housework. I'm just going to sit and I'm going to read my books. What did and you read, Joelle? Hmm? What did you read? Oh, just some science fiction, escapism. Yeah, good fun. Very nice. Mm. So can you tell us about your professional career, please, Kim? I can. Um, I've had quite a varied, as Jason sort of uh, alluded to in the intro, quite a varied um, background. I started off actually working for Qantas um, as a flight attendant many, many years ago. Um, and uh, it was during that time uh, that I went back to study and I became uh, did my pharmacy degree while I was flying. Um, it's actually been quite nice having Qantas join us as a member. Most recently, it felt a little bit nostalgic um, because I had a wonderful time working as a many years ago. Um, and from there, I did my pharmacy degree. I worked as a, a hospital pharmacist for a little while um, and then a community pharmacist um, before I ended up in the academic world um, running some projects for the University of Sydney. Um, and one of the projects I was running was around health literacy and um, safe medicine use. And from that, I actually did my PhD um, at that time. Um, but, you know, I don't know about anyone else, but, you know, you do your PhD, sometimes you think, what on earth am I going to do next with this PhD if you don't want to be an academic? Um, so from there, I ended up working in health technology, technology assessment for a little while um, in health economics and outcome research. And then, again, moving on into the corporate world, I worked for a couple of consultancy firms um, and mainly around healthcare strategy um, and pharmaceutical, with pharmaceutical companies, um, hospitals, government, etc. And then a couple of years ago, I was one of those probably COVID moments um, where I went, what do I really want to do here? <laughs> and I feel like I'm still uh, growing, but deciding what I want to do when I grow up. Um, but certainly this uh, position came up and it intrigued me, um, particularly the area of mental health. And I think at that time, at the beginning of COVID, many people were probably struggling. And I, you know, certainly I know I was very busy and um, burnout and all those things were, were of concern to me. Um, and I think we, I reflected on what I wanted for life. So I ended up applying for this position with um, the Corporate Mental Health Alliance. And here I am now, um, two years in. Just coming up to. Yeah, two years, did you say? Yeah, almost two years. It's been mm. very, I know. I think COVID, I don't know about you guys, but I find like, I go, oh, is that one or two it's years? It's been a weird sort of time, mm. time warp, warp sink yeah. kind of thing. Like, has it been a decade? Has it been a year? Yeah. Who knows? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, um, yeah, so I'd imagine it would have flown past. Um, but the, the Corporate Mental Health Alliance uh, obviously is, or maybe not obviously for, for our listeners, it is a subsidiary of the Mind Ford Alliance, or it's originated in the UK. Um, but we'd love to, well, I, and in fact, we've spoken a little bit about the alliance with Lucy Brogdon. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going back. I don't know, we just talked about it. Could have been five years ago, could have been 20. Well, Lucy was in our first year, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So it definitely wasn't five years ago because no. we only started the podcast two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but it feels, yeah, it was a while ago. Logic dictates that it couldn't have been five years ago. For the listeners that haven't listened to the episode of Lucy Brogdon, do yourself a favour and listen to mm-hmm. that one. Um, but what we want to do is really, and that was only part of the conversation with Lucy, um, but we really want to focus on the work of the Corporate Mental Health Alliance in this discussion with you. Who better to talk to about it than the CEO? Uh, so can you tell us and our listeners what the Alliance is all about? Well, the Alliance, um, as you mentioned, it originated, um, well, the model of it originated from the City Mental Health Alliance, which started off in the UK uh, some 15 years before uh, on the back of the GFC, as I understand it, and some suicides that occurred within the financial services uh, industry. And when um, the City Mental Health, or the Corporate Mental Health Alliance was, was I, I guess, 
being thought about um, and what it was going to become. It started off actually before COVID, uh, probably a year, well, probably a year before we actually officially launched in October 2020. And um, it was a bunch of leaders that got together who were talking about the importance of mental health in the workplace and how to create mental health workplaces. And no one seemed to have the answers. Um, and so they decided to form this alliance and they went looking around for a model and that's where they saw the City Mental Health Alliance and now what has become and evolved into the Mind Forward Alliance um, that's a global body. So we are a chapter of them here in Australia. Um, and the main work we are is, is, is as our title says, for an alliance of um, about 25 members now um, with about a reach across all those members of about half a million employees. Um, so it's it's growing um, and so is our, our impact. And our aim is to share our knowledge um, within our own membership, but, but more broadly with um, every Australian employee out there and employer, anything that we learn as larger corporates, um, what can we share with others? So part of the work we're doing is um, collating some of the resources that we have within our organisations and making those available um, to anyone through our website. We run network events. We run other events around learning sessions and case studies that we present for our own members. So it really is a, it's a, it's a network of learning, if I can sort of call it that, um, and sharing. Um, we're not, it, it is very much about what you give as well as a membership. So we're not probably a traditional membership where they sit back and wait for us to give them as the alliance everything. It is very much about our members sharing with us as an alliance, us bringing it together and then sharing it back to the broader audience. So we're still learning and growing as we go. We're only just uh, over two years old. Um, and I think as we're reimagining work, um, we're also having to reimagine what does workplace mental health look like. Um, so we're small, I think we're quite agile in the way that we're operating. So we're trying to really listen to what's going on out there um, and and then sort of adapt what we need to do as we go along. Yeah, and I know you're getting some great advice. Yeah, I know you're getting some great advice uh, along the way from uh, experts like Carlo Kapanekia and and so on. So um, yeah. uh, it's it's quite yeah the the it's got, got a lot of great names associated with the alliance, both in terms of members um, the, and the organisations that are represented, as as well as the quantity obviously of Australian employees that are represented, yeah. uh, and then also the uh, academic uh, uh, and subject matter oversight. Um, you talked about how the City Mental Health Alliance UK, one of the things that really kicked off the necessity for that and the origin of that was the number of suicides that were happening post-GFC. Um, was there a tipping point or a, um, uh, a, a reason why um, Australia started as an offshoot of, of that at that particular time a couple of years ago? No, I don't think it was anything specific around a particular, you know, event uh, or those types of events. I, it was, and I wasn't around at that time, and I am only mm. um, hearing the discussions that had that were had um, post that event. But it wasn't, I, I guess, the passionate people and leaders, and we've got, you know, our, our chair is Stephen Morrill from Microsoft, who's an incredibly passionate advocate. People like Lucy Brogdon, who also sits on our expert advisory group. They're, you know, PwC, Kristen Stubbins, um, a number of those who ended up being our founding members, um, ended up, you know, said it was a group of people getting together that were starting to talk about this and said, well, actually, together we can do more and go farther um, and make a greater impact if we do it as a collective as opposed to each of us trying to go it alone. Mm. And as you know, um, businesses don't always share with each other what they're doing. Um, and what we've found in the Alliance, actually, there's an incredible sharing around this because I think people um, are so important to our membership. They're, they're people um, and mental health is so important. So we don't actually see any sort of um, competitiveness or you know, people withholding information or anything to try and get a competitive advantage. It really is a genuineness. And I, I'm you know, surprised at how incredibly open people are um, and our membership are and our leads are around the challenges they're facing. And then collectively, what can we do? And, and, so, and we saw this in COVID where many organisations had, um, were saying, what do we do for our staff? They're working remotely. Um, how do we check in with them? And, you know, people put out a call and said, well, what are you doing? Um, and they said, oh, well, we've done this for our staff. And we had this call and everyone was saying, oh, we did this. And said, oh, that's a great idea. We're going to try that. And it, so it was a really... Um, it's been quite an open, our, our network sessions, our, our functional leads meetings are quite an open sharing uh, forum. And we usually generally pick a topic for now in a more structured way than earlier in COVID. Um, and we try and discuss how we can share and learn from each other. 
Yeah, great. And, and that's definitely one of the um, the best benefits we've heard from people like Sean Ralph and Laura Kirby, who are part of the um, Alliance through their respective organisations, um, that they really appreciate that. This is not seen as a competitive advantage. This is actually about having that positive impact on yeah. uh, all these workers. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, great that people are willing to share so freely. Mm. And look, I mean, the best part of my job is I actually get to work with the most incredibly passionate um, and amazing board, uh, all our fun, you know, founding members, the senior leads from them, and as well as all the functional leads that we work with um, on a more day-to-day basis. These, you know, best job in the world, and I couldn't ask for a better workplace if I think about them as my greater workplace. Um, but, yeah, and they really, really want to make a difference. And I think that that is – and we are, yes, a coalition of the willing – um, but it is great to see that people are willing to, to um, contribute so much. And so um, can you give us, I guess, an overview of the types of organisations who are forming your membership at the moment? Um, we're very fortunate to have quite a cross-sector, um, of, cross-section of um, various sectors. So we have technology companies such as your Microsoft, Avenard. We have financial services and insurances companies, um, Three big, you know, retailers, Coles, Bunnings and Woolworths. Um, and we also have uh, Qantas as one of our you know, aviation. Um, we also have some smaller companies too. Um, so not all our members are really large. So we have our largest member as we sort of in Woolworths of sort of 200,000 plus employees right down to we have sort of the Trove Health Services and um, Galdum are one of our smaller ones. We, you know, we have less than 500 employees and it's a really great opportunity for the larger corporates to get in there to share information with the smaller, but also we learn a lot from our smaller organisations who are very connected to their people too. So mm. it's a really great learning environment. But we are fortunate to have probably a number of sectors involved. There are obviously sectors we'd like to get um, involved through Andrew Construction and I mean, we know that the building industry has you know, high rates of um, mental health issues and suicide. Um, so if we can in- involve more sectors, it's, it's, it's our aim is actually to grow sector-wide and it's we're not actually growing um, our, ourselves by um, promoting ourselves. It's been very much an organic process of people joining us because they're interested. And what's the process for, so like if we've got listeners who are representing companies who aren't members at the moment, what would they, how would they go about um, joining? Send me an email um, via our website um, and I'm very happy to share information. And we share you know, information about the topics of interest that we're doing. We're following our program of work, uh, our fees. I'm very happy then to jump on a call and explain what we do. Fantastic. So um, we've talked about how there's a lot of sharing of resources. What types of resources, if you could give us an indication, Kima, you know, most commonly shared between these organisations? I think at the moment we are in the process of collating, I think you mentioned earlier, some of the resources themselves. So it's... Everything seems to be an easy process when you think about it, but in practice it actually um, has a little bit more of a challenge because there's obviously part of the issues attached to some of the, the um, documents, etc. Um, but the aim is for us is that we're doing a sort of a, uh, a gap analysis of where we need resources. So we're doing resources around leadership. So how do we run sort of training programs? What sort of resources are available around their leadership from all of our organisations? Um, People sharing, you know, things around their EAP providers, you know, some of the discussions we've had have been around how did I find an EAP provider, what do we get from our EAP provider, etc. Um, we are currently doing, I guess, in terms of, it's not a sharing of a resource, but it is a sharing of a, a collection of, of data. So we have just, um, in the last four months of last year, ran a survey around amongst 14 of our membership um, organisations and um, asking around job factors, burnout, um, productivity, um, attachment to work sort of connection as well as uh, external stresses that they might be experiencing and our report will come out in February. Um, I will be sharing the results of that across those members that we have uh, spoken or participated in the survey. So part of that is us creating an, and probably in every two years we'll do this sort of survey to see what's important to employees um, so this was an employee survey um, with a leadership component as well. So understanding what's actually going on out there um, and then being able to develop our resources. Uh, and one of the things we're very keen to not do is duplicate what's already out there. So when we are trying to collate resources, it might be a shorter version of something, but with resources that all links out to the resources that are already out there. But, you know, so many companies do and, and organisations do an amazing job. We don't want to reinvent wheels all over again. 
Yeah, and that's that's a good way to go, and that's um, you know our philosophy as well. You know, um, why create the wheel? What we create the wheel? Um, so if we can identify some people doing good things or have good resources out there, um, we can point to that rather than duplicate. Mm. And that's one of the reasons we do this podcast as well. We like to feature people doing good things on here and, and share that out. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, our resource sharing is evolving. Um, again, we're two years in um, and trying to see what we can pull in from all our members and then actually share out. And our aim is to make nearly everything publicly available where we can to anybody beyond our membership. So again, it's about serving all working Australians and all businesses out there. Um, and I know the National Workplace Initiative is doing an amazing job too of pulling together resources. So, you know, what we can add from the business point of view, we will definitely share through the, the NWI as well, where we can. Yeah, um, and the latest resource, if people aren't across it yet, from the NWI is their version two of their blueprint, uh, which very much aligns to the integrated model of workplace mental health that we regularly speak to uh, on the podcast. So um, we might put a link to that in the resources as well. So. So what would be, I guess, some of the, the themes or issues that are coming through from your member groups in terms of what um, – yeah, what, what their challenges are or, or what are some of the issues that they're wanting to address? Um, I think we're here, definitely hybrid is still a big topic of conversation amongst um, our many of our members. I think we're all working out uh, or what does hybrid really mean? Is it just job flexibility? Um, is it how do we change the way we work? How do we get people back into the office? I think is one of the other challenges, not because they want to dictate that you need to be back in the office for three or four days a week. It's more about that sort of collaboration um, the connectivity. So, how do we make sure? You know, many of our organisations are, are sort of looking at ways in which to bring people into the office for different reasons, as opposed to just. And I'm probably sure you hear this quite a bit, rather than just the, you know, doing the same work they did at home in the offices. How do we actually make it a, a place where it is about meetings, or it is about those water cooler conversations, or an opportunity to plan and all that sort of things? Um, so that's definitely the hybrid is a big challenge, um, and I think one of the the questions we've got is around connectivity and it's not so much people who are coming to the office a couple of days a week, it's people who are coming in for months at a time and how do you check in with those people, how do you know that they're definitely okay, how do you make sure you take care of their mental health as well. So I think um, many organisations are grappling with that aspect of the, what does hybrid really mean and how do we provide the best support both in the office and at home to those people who are working in that, in that mode. Um, definitely upskilling, I think, around um, the psych health and safety piece. Um, how do they upskill their managers? How do they upskill senior leaders? How do they raise awareness amongst the leadership about the importance of this? There's definitely the psychosocial risk assessment piece um, and all the uh, regulations that are coming in are definitely a top of mind for many, many organisations. And how do they make sure not only that they comply, but that they are doing absolutely the right thing by their employees? And I think you know, we are a coalition of the willing, um, and I think many of our members are probably, you know, incredibly passionate about doing the right thing. Um, I'm just trying to think what else we're Oh, definitely you know, burnout and fatigue. I think um, we've all had that conversation of last year was a, probably a very hard year. Um, we came off back of pandemic, not quite finished, um, but feeling a sense of fatigue, uh, exhaustion, and I think there's concerns about burnout and people taking enough leave. Um, mm. and making sure that they have time away. So I think that's the thing, sort of the main things we're hearing about um, and probably the integration piece. How do we integrate this um, into our culture, into our systems, into our uh, all structure, et cetera? How do we make um, psych health and safety a really important part of, of everything we do? Yeah, okay. So um, some some fairly significant themes coming through <laughs> there and some uh, some wicked problems to, to grapple with. So um, interesting work ahead for sure. Yeah, it is. I think that the hard part is in all of this is you look at it and you think there are so many things to do um, and how do you actually focus on, I think, doing one or two things really, really well where you actually can make a difference. Um, mm. And that's sort of the thing that we do at the beginning of roughly every year around that February-March piece. We get together as an organisation with all our members and we start to talk about what's really important for the next 12 to 18 months and we agree on one or two things that we think we're going to do for the next 12 to 18 months and that might be a piece of research. Um, last year we uh, partnered with UNSW um, to do the psychosocial risk modules um, that we did, which has some case studies from our businesses, uh, as well as pulling together sort of an overview of how to go about a psychosocial risk assessment. We then links out to 
really safe work uh, to you guys as well um, as as um, other ex external resources people can go and access. Again, we weren't reinventing the wheel. It was just a way of sort of bringing an overview um, to people who were starting out and didn't know where to start. So, um, so those are the sort of things we decided last year to start such a risk assessment given the regulations was an important part. Um, this year we're looking at different ways of perhaps expanding on what's the next piece around um, that comes on from that. Hi listeners, Jason here. We hope you're enjoying this latest podcast episode. Now, if you're like Joelle, Alicia and myself and enjoy learning from the best, then the Flourish DX Academy is for you. The Academy includes free e-learning courses on the ISO 45003 standard for psychological health and safety at work and associated topics such as how to conduct a psychosocial risk assessment and how to create the business case for psych health and safety. All courses feature high-quality videos, downloadable resources, multi-choice questions, and a downloadable training certificate on completion. Take your learning to the next level with all Flourish DX Academy courses included within the Flourish DX mobile app. Select podcast episodes from the Psych Health and Safety podcast, and sister podcasts from Canada and the USA are also included. Get started with Flourish DX for free at www.flourishdx.com forward slash get hyphen started. That's www.flourishdx.com forward slash get hyphen started. Now back to this episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that point, as you say, where companies are just considering how do they meet the legal responsibilities in terms of psychosocial risk management, um, but embed that as into business as usual. Mm. Um, we see at the moment there is a lot of short-term thinking going, oh, all I need to do is do a risk assessment and then uh, I just need to update my risk register. Um, and then that's it. Well, if you want to drive positive mental health outcomes in your workforce, you actually need to change the way you operate based mm -hmm. on that information, not just put it in a risk register that you know no one reviews or is only reviewed every couple of years and isn't yeah. operationalized. Um, I liken it to you know maybe having a quality management uh, system or um, uh, uh, health and safety you know management system. Uh, if it's just policies and documents sitting in a shelf or in a uh, internal folder somewhere on your computer uh, that no one looks like and it's not talked about every day or doesn't change the way you operate, it's not going to drive improvements in, in outcomes that you want, whether that's quality um, uh, or reliability or safety. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that point. Hopefully there'll be some good case studies coming out of your alliance where companies are actually um, embedding this into business as usual and then not just doing the, the minimum requirement of, like, let's just assess risk uh, at a surface level and update our risk register, but they're actually then really changing the design and management of work um, based on a continuous improvement uh, mm. process. Mm. Uh, I think that's a, that's the key piece is, is it's not set and forget. It's a, you've got to keep doing this and you've got to keep, you know, surveying your people year in, year out. You've got to keep looking at these risks and updating your register and the way in which you operate. Um, I certainly, um, I certainly know that from, even just from the last two years, the conversation has really changed in our membership around what's important and how that, so it is becoming more around the integration and how do we be embedded in that systems as opposed to sort of that, as you just mentioned, having it on a risk register or just having a, doc, a document, we've got it tick, we're done. There really is a, a, a real drive um, from our membership to really do, do it right. Yeah, and we're even hearing that from companies who've even gone to the point of getting certified uh, to ISO 45003 that they're like, oh, great, we've done that, but we still need to operationalise this standard. Yeah. Um, and so there's a difference between um, ticking the box and actually doing it and driving positive impact. Yeah. Um, I really hope that companies don't just think they'll do a risk assessment once and then that, that's actually going to lead to the mental health outcomes that they're expecting because it won't. Um, it, it, is, it is quite a daunting process, though, for many of, you know, particularly a large corporate, you know, you, where do you start um, sometimes, too, is it do you do it by division, do you do it, mm -hmm. you know, um, across your whole organisation at once? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of steps, I think, and that's, you know, hearing from our members is sometimes it's not that they don't, you know, people don't want to do it, it's mm -hmm. really how do, you, how do you do it well and then how do you operationalise it? And that's, I think that's the big challenge for businesses is, the desires there, but um, the levels of maturity vary, and some companies are way, way ahead, and others are, are just starting out on that journey. So it's really adapting for them, adapting um, as they go along and learning, learning from those that have already done it um, and how they how they've done that. Yeah, in in the spirit of sharing, as the alliance members do, um, what we're seeing from the largest corporates um, in how they start doing it is 
is there is that competency uplift, as you were talking about, has mm-hmm. been one of the focuses of your work with UNSW yeah. uh, and Carlo and his team. Um, but while you're updating policies and updating your health and safety management system to ensure it encapsulates psychosocial risk management, um, most large corporates are starting with a division or a, um, yeah. a, a group that they've already identified risk in um, yeah. to just kind of start to set up their process going to like a 10 or 20,000 person plus kind of rollout of this, um, you can fail really badly and mm-hmm. scar the business and the people who participate in the process. Yeah. So it's better off to make your uh, mistakes uh, in a smaller sample um, in order to pilot the process and make sure that it's really slick before you scale up. Yeah. Um, so that's, um, that's not just what we advise, but definitely what we've seen um, some large corporates that we work with in the alliance, that that's the process that they seem to be mm-hmm. taking, starting smaller. Um, and for them, smaller could be, you know, 1,000, 2,000 people. It's more like 10. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, and then looking at how, how does this now scale up? Um, so they can do that initial kind of piloting uh, of the process whilst updating their management systems and building up the, the, the capability of key people in their organisation, whether that's functional team or line managers. Yeah. And I think it is a capability. I think uplift is a is a critical component as well. Um, perhaps roll it out and then say, "Fucking go, everyone!" It, it is about um, the right training and um, skills uplift. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you wouldn't roll out, you know, a whole safety process right without some training on how to actually use it. Um, yeah. But we are seeing that some companies are making that mistake of just going, "Oh." We've got one or two people who are experts in our HR team or health and safety team. They're going to dr- they're going to drive the whole process, mm. um, and then it becomes like oh, it's that's their project. It's not something that their company is doing together mm. in order to realise the benefit. It's like oh, these two people are going to make this massive change in the organisation without any uh, buy-in or engagement or education or anything. Mm-hmm. So you yeah, it's it's a step that some companies are. Because it's not actually dictated in the legislation, you need to train people. It is in ISO forty five thousand and three. You need to think well, about no, it is. It is in the Act. So the issue is oh, that the, the regs, yeah, yeah. the regs are an extension of the an Act. extension of the Act. So yeah. the Act mm-hmm. includes the requirement to provide training and instruction, etc. Yeah. Um, so that's I think an important thing that people shouldn't overlook is that you need to look at the regs. In, its in, in relation yeah. to yeah. to the Act, um, mm-hmm. and so all of those primary. Um, duties and and the the sort of subclauses under the primary duties, you know, it's basically saying these also apply to psychosocial hazard and risk. So um, as you do for physical health and safety hazards, you must also do for psychosocial hazards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what, one thing you've been big at um, saying, I mean, we've been doing uh, Kim, we've been doing some sharing ourselves through some live Zoom workshops around the new regs because they are quite topical at the moment and. People are trying to get their heads around it. And um, Joelle's been an ex-regulator, subject matter expert, um, who's come in to, to talk about that. And um, one of the questions that people are surprised by the answer to is, hey, let's say I do a psychosocial risk assessment. Let's say then um, I do some actions on the back of that. Um, does that mean I'm complying with the recs? Um, and Joelle's answer is always... No. Well done. It's like we rehearsed that. <laughs> yeah. So what, 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 while we're here, what, what do companies yeah. need? Um, like if, because a lot of yeah, them are so, thinking, oh, we just need to consult with staff, do a risk assessment, run a survey, focus groups, whatever, update our risk register, and we're done, right? Like, yeah, you, yeah. So you need to have a safe system of work. Yeah. Um, so that's, that, again, that's under the primary act. Um, and so for, to, to meet the requirements of that legislation or the regulation, rather, um, that means that you need to have a safe system of work in place in relation to psychosocial hazards, which means that you have, you know, periodic um, assessment of or yeah, regular identification of psychosocial hazards, assessing the risks, putting controls in place, assessing the effic- efficacy of the controls, um, going in and making changes if you find that those controls aren't working, if there's been changes, if your health and safety reps request a, a, a re-evaluation, you know, all of those same triggers uh, that are there within the rest of the legislation, they also apply to your psychosocial uh, risk management processes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, and I think people are um, confused because sometimes if they look at instruments like COPSOC, mm-hmm. um, which is used for psychosocial risk assessment, um, it will recommend, uh, you know, re-administer every 12 to 18 months. Um, but the regula- regulations actually suggest, well, there's other times when you actually have to do it, not just on a 12 to 18-month cycle. Mm-hmm. And if we think about other hazards and like in psychosocial hazards to physical hazards, you should be as, uh, identifying and assessing the risk whenever something changes in your organisation. 
And if you think uh, about workplaces today, it can change pretty quickly. I mean, yeah. we've seen a lot of change in the last two years. And how many risk assessments have been done for psychosocial hazards? There's probably a lot that haven't happened um, mm-hmm. when they've needed to. So, um, yeah, pretty interesting, um, I guess, uh, you know, what's happening in this space. And it'll be interesting to see um, how the Alliance members, you know, um, really, because uh, I know they're all really all interested, not just in meeting the minimum standard, but actually doing something that drives mm-hmm. the impact that they want and, and doing better practice or, yeah. you know, doing best practice, not just compliance. So um, has there been any discussion, Kim, about... Um, you know, reaching that standard where we're actually going to do psychosocial risk management well um, and not just that legal compliance piece? Look, we haven't had any, I guess, specific, you know, discussions around it. We, but it is a topic of interest uh, at, at, at our functional lead meetings um, every couple of months. It is, um, and I, the question you just asked uh, around how do I know I'm meeting the standard if I do this, I think that's a really uh, challenging piece for many organisations to say, actually, do I, how do I know I'm actually doing minimum, but not only that, what is the, 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 the best practice around it? And I think, um, again, I've mentioned earlier, we're looking to how do we do the next piece of work? So is there, you know, how do we define best practice and what does that look like? I think collectively, I think it would be a wonderful project for our group to do, um, to come up with what we're doing and, and how we define that and make sure that we kind of like sign on to something around that um, would be probably an ideal um, situation, but um, it's definitely a work in progress is all I'm going to say is we're, we're still learning as we go along as well. Yeah. And look, we, we did think that um, particularly large businesses would be more proactive in this space yeah. and going, well, the regulations are coming. We have a model, model regs, we have model code. Um, we should actually be like doing something in this area, but we found they've been actually highly reactive and it's only when the regs have been published, have they then acted very quickly with a mm-hmm. sense of urgency, usually due to a board directive going, Oh, how are you managing this risk for us uh, as board directors? So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's very interesting, but uh, what for those naysayers out there that says we don't need regs, you know, people should just do this because it's the right thing to do. I can tell you regs work because we're definitely yeah. seeing it on our end. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, and I think you know, good intentions don't also lead to um, you know actions. Um, so you, the intentions are obviously of our members are good intentions. And I think, as I said, the conversation in the last year and two years has really moved on um, around what people are intending or wanting to do or are doing within their organisations. There's definitely a lot more action in this space, and I can't comment on whether that was reactive or not, but. Mm. Um, I think just the conversation in general in this space has really elevated um, mm. around what needs to be done and compared to two years ago where people, I think, are still talking about, you know, yoga and fruit bowls and, you know, we're now really starting to tackle, um, I think, the harder things um, and starting to look at those upstream factors um, and, you know, job design, feasible work hours, workload, all those sorts of things are starting to come onto the table, I think, more so than perhaps two years ago, just from my observation. Oh, and the, the role of, in the alliance is commendable in that regards because, um, you know, you um, kindly extended an invitation to Alicia Joel and myself to go to the annual gathering last year. And you like to say the maturity of the conversation was great um, in comparison to the last wellbeing conference I went to in the UK. And they are still talking about the fruit bowls and yogas mm. and mm. like sit stand desks and that sort of thing. Uh, mm. And in fact, um, I even saw something from Mind Forward Alliance uh, in the UK that put out a white paper around this, and they said health and safety has no place in um, in workplace mental health. I'm like, you are joking! You're just setting back the conversation five to ten years. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it, it is interesting about the UK. Um, in, I think Australia is definitely leading the world. I know maybe New Zealand's going to argue the point, um, but, but I think we're definitely leading the world um, in many respects around the way that we're thinking about this and what the actions that have been taken, our regulations, etc. I, I absolutely think. In our conversations with the UK, I was on a call middle of last year, um, and people were very interested in what we were doing here in Australia because they hadn't even started any of that process um, in many of the organisations within the UK. Yeah. Now, I'll be uh, over in London next week um, to hopefully convince some people of <laughs> of the merits of this. And it's becoming easier now with like, the World Health Organization yeah. and the International Labor Organization mm-hmm. recognising the importance of psychosocial risk management mm-hmm. and a holistic approach to uh, worker mental health. And I, and I think that you know, there is a positive too. If you've got a global organisation and you've got an Australian base who's already doing this work, to then start to look at what are the learnings we've got from Australia and how do we actually take them to the rest of our, our organisation. I think we're a great um, 
sized company mm-hmm. country as well to, to sort of test and try things um, before we start to roll them out to some of the bigger ones, particularly if you've got a bigger base somewhere else overseas. So, uh, And we're definitely seeing that with some of the multinationals we're working with. Based on legal reviews, they're saying that Australia is actually the place that they need to from a legal perspective. It's got the strongest legislation that mm. dictates companies need to do this. And so they are looking at, as you say, Australia is a bit of a proving ground mm. um, and then, uh, you know, escalating um, outwards from there. Mm. Um, but I, I feel like Australia, uh, through alliances like uh, work like your alliance is doing, um, as well as other bodies like the National Workplace Initiative yeah. and so on, um, the reputation Australia is getting for mental health uh, is, is phenomenal. Um, as I say, it's like selling German cars. <laughs> People really um, uh, are making, thinking mental health and health and safety are synonymous with Australia, which is fantastic. Mm. Mm. Take oh, that, Canada. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Kim, what does the future of the Alliance look like? Um, oh, it feels like there's so much to do. That's the problem, <laughs> I think. Um, we, I'm... I would love to do many things, um, and I go back to the, the two or three things we we can do. I think one of the things uh, we, we, our sort of main program areas of work are around our. We have an early and career uh, program um, which we kicked off um, at the end of 2021, uh, with a real focus on how do we support those that are starting off in the workplace within the first eight years within within a job. Um, and that's really sort of had gained some momentum. Um, we've done some focus groups, we've done a report, uh, and now we're looking at onboarding and EAP use. And so those sorts of a real focus on how do we do that start point um, and, and just start to do it really well at the beginning of people's careers. Um, there's a piece around our data um, and research. We're still interested in looking at opportunities as we go along to add to the evidence space. Um, so how do we... Do we take one of the programs that's already um, being run in some of our organisations and pilot it in others and then do an evaluation? So we're and partnering with academics around that and our expert advisory group. So there's definitely a, a piece for us. I think we would really like to use our businesses to contribute to the evidence base. I know that there's um, there's evidence out there, but I don't think there's a huge amount uh, still in the workplace. And I think it'd be great if we could do more around that and to, to contribute to that. Um, obviously, leadership, we've got our CEO forum um, that we do every October now. Uh, last year, we had 70 CEOs and senior leaders uh, attend our, our um, dinner. And the conversation was really around um, how do leaders start to embed this within their organisation? What does a new era of work look like? And what does mental health look like? Um, I think there's that piece around um, further collaboration. Who else do we collaborate with more broadly than just us um, and our alliance? I think there's, you know, so many great minds out there. Um, So I think we're looking at uh, sort of collaborations, broader collaborations. um, And um, trying to think, I guess, focus really around that psychosocial risk piece. Um, How do we do the next bit well, um, how do we educate and inform our members around what best practice might look like, um, how do we share around that uh, as well. So um, I think we're starting to talk around job design, job crafting, um, what does good work look like. Um, so, again, tapping into our expert advisory group around that too. Um, but a lot to do, I actually feel like. <laughs> um and also, you know, there's an interesting conversation we've been having around supply chain as well. So how do we as an organisation um, give back? So we're doing a wellbeing week in, a, in, in um, February that is open to all employees of our, um, our organisations and it covers you know, topics of life, mind and body. And if we prove this concept, how do we make this then available to smaller organisations or support people within our member organisations' supply chains? So these are things we're starting to talk about, not just what we offer for our membership, but actually how do we give back more uh, and uh, all our learnings more broadly within your own organisation's supply chains um, as well. So I think there's a lot to do. Um, Definitely a lot to do. Yeah, as you say, there's no shortage of things to do. It's about where you're going to focus. It's like the biggest decision. Um, yeah. yeah, like our dev pipeline. It is a bit like our dev pipeline. It's always <laughs> like, you know, you've got to sacrifice one child. Like, which one is it going to be in order to, yeah. Um, Yes, I've got 10 years' worth of ideas. It used to be five. I've got 10 years' worth of ideas. That, um, <laughs> I, I um, if I had 100 devs, I could keep them very busy. Um, yeah. Well, capacity is the biggest piece we find mm. is, 
you know, how do you, we're only a small team, there's three of us, um, so how do we sort of do more, you know, so it's to be hire more people. Um, you know, there's lots of questions around even just ourselves being just two years old um, and how do we scale up and, and have a greater impact too. I think a startup like us, we were only four up. people what, a couple of years ago and we're, what, 15 now or something. Yeah. So, yeah, you'll, you'll scale up quickly, Kim. I'm coming to you for advice. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Um, so, Kim, at this point in our conversations with our guests, we always like to ask, you know, if you were to look into the future, what would your hopes for the future of workplace mental health be? And if you can keep that to under 20 minutes, that'd be great. No, no, definitely. Uh, <laughs> um Look, I think just the normalisation of the conversations we're having within the workplace, I think that's probably a critical piece that there's sort of a redu- I think we're seeing definitely a reduction in stigma, but there's still a lot of people not willing to speak up. Um, and I think um, that, that freedom of being able to speak up comfortably, so that's that space being very safe um, in, in terms of um, being able to speak to your manager or even your peers around some of the times we might struggle, um, definitely... Um, uh, an improvement to perhaps around the way we work um, and consider good work. So I think um, I don't know what that might look like in terms of do we, I don't know, I'm, I'm not big on more regulation being necessarily the answer, but, you know, do we look at, you know, reasonable work hours and do we look at different different models of integrating it within our organisations? How do we think about it differently? So I think having it absolutely core to your business, it, ha- it can't be just a nice to do. It has to be absolutely part of your culture, part of your leadership's um, uh, KPIs, whatever they might look like. I think you really, a real embedding of this as being just like your physical safety piece, um, the psychological part has to absolutely be part of that. Um, and perhaps that we don't exist in reality um, because we've solved all the problems. So um, that would be a nice a nice outcome, although I don't see that happening anytime soon. But I think, um, yeah, it really is to me around having um, that, that safe space of people feeling like it's okay to, to not be okay at work, but it's also how do we actually not only um, treat those that are in a reactive manner, um, but looking at that early intervention prevention piece. And I think there's a lot more work for us to be doing that upstream um, around that prevention piece. So how do we stop people getting to a, to a place? How do we actually help them thrive? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we're, we're with you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's it. And then I think that there's the other piece, which we haven't yet tackled um, and would like to as we evolve, I think, is around people with neurodiversity, um, people with chronic and complex mental health um, conditions within the work- workplace. So how do we do more around supporting those people within the workplace? I think uh, that's a personal area I'd like to sort of look at down the track as well. Yeah, well, uh, we can definitely introduce you to Peter Kelly from our team who ticks all the neurodiversity boxes, I think. <laughs> so um, he, he's pretty ad- uh, pre- a pretty big advocate for that as well. I so, think um, we're probably close to 50% of our employees have, have uh, a neurodivergence of some sort. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, maybe they're just attracted to working in startups. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, you know, uh, Peter is, a, you know, being a psychologist himself um, and, uh, you know, uh, having a lived experience of being yeah. neurodiverse, um, he, yeah, has, is pretty pretty passionate about helping companies to think about how they accommodate um, neurodiversity. Because mm. mm. I, I, I think it is, it, it can be quite scary, as it, well, not scary, but it can be challenging sometimes for a manager to know what to do. And I think mm. there's an upskilling around that as well. It's it's not that people don't want to help or do the right thing. It's often just, I just don't know how. Um, yeah. So yeah, I and think again, the that... more conversations you can have um, and the more we talk about that, I think the better it will be overall. And again, it comes back to that normalisation of our workplace. Mm. And that, to go back to my previous point about systems of work, like that's why it's important to have a system of work because yeah. you, yeah, you can tell managers that it's important, but they actually need to have a framework that says, well, you know, here is how you have a conversation with an employee about what accommodations they Mm. require. And here is our policy and framework that will enable you to make those accommodations. And here's how we sort of decide whether an accommodation is reasonable or not. And what evidence do we potentially require from a a medical provider and all of that sort of thing. So you do actually need that yeah. sort of that organisational scaffolding to support the leader in in being able to actually support that that employee to be able to um, to, to work in mm-hmm. in the organisation in in the best way that they can, mm-hmm. um, and in a way that's uh, protecting their mental health as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, 
Do you have any words of advice for listeners who want to work in the field of psych health and safety? Um, well, being that I'm a newbie, I guess, to, to, some, to some extension to this, uh, this, this field, I think um, it's immensely enjo- enjoyable. It's incre- you know, incredibly interesting. Um, I think you can make a huge impact on people's lives. Um, I would recommend anything to do with this space. I really, really enjoyed um, the, the learnings I've had over the last couple of years. Um, and it, we definitely need practitioners as as we go along. I mean, there's, there's no doubt that this is a growing area and an important area. Um, so I think if you're interested, absolutely follow this pathway. And I think you guys are probably the best people to talk to about the pathway you've held, um, you know, Joelle with your regular background and uh, Jason as well and the couple you've got. I mean, I find this an incredibly interesting space um, and so much to learn always. There's always something new. And you can go down so many pathways, I think, too, is the other aspect of it as well. It's not just, you know, one sort of area. I think there's so many things you can do um, within this space. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Kim, thank you so much. It's, um, you did not disappoint, even though you made us wait uh, at least a year uh, to get on. You're but, um, very kind. <laughs> but uh, no, it was great hearing about the Alliance. You're doing amazing work. And uh, if that's what's happened in the first two years, we're really looking forward to seeing what happens in the next two. Absolutely. Thank you. And you know, thank you for having me on. And uh, again, this is all a collective effort across companies um, and organisations more broadly. It, it's... Um, you know, we've connected in with you, we've connected with so many other organisations and, and I think we all have so much to learn from each other, not just that within our alliance, to, you know, for us to share, but also to learn from other organisations and what you're doing because it is a bit of a connect the dots uh, and a web of how you actually bring this all together to solve um, solve some of the problems that are actually occurring. Yeah, and look, we'll put a link to the Corporate Mental Health Alliance website um, in the show notes so that okay. people can find out more and get in touch with you if they'd like to, um, to beca- become a member. That would be great. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. No, thank you. Okay, so listeners, um, that brings us to the end of today's episode. So don't forget we do record these over video while we uh, have our conversations with our guests. So if you prefer video over audio, feel free to go to the Flourish GX YouTube channel to check them out. Uh, you'll also find that we take short snippets from these discussions and we put them on the Flourish DX LinkedIn page. So follow that to uh, get access to that content. And while you're over on LinkedIn, feel free to connect with Joelle and myself uh, if you want to continue the conversation. And Kim hangs out there a little bit as well. So if you uh, if you get in contact with her, that's probably another way to do it. Um, but thanks again, listeners. That brings us to the end. We'll catch you next episode. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention, follow Flourish DX on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast at www.psychhealthandsafety.com.